every day we are facing deadly spiritual dangers that can bring about our destruction, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we must aggressively, intensely, fervently seek help from the only person who can address these deadly spiritual dangers. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Should the battle with temptation be approached as a war or treated as peacetime? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part 12 of his current series titled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Temptation and its outcomes can be dangers far worse than life-threatening illness or physical mortal threat. Every day you face deadly spiritual dangers that can bring about your destruction, originating from the world, the flesh, and the devil. But there is hope, believer. As you aggressively, intensely, and fervently pray for help from the only one who can address these deadly spiritual dangers, God Himself. You have the confidence that by His Word, He hears and is a very present help in times of trouble and while you're under siege. Let's join Tom Pennington now as he has more for us from God's Word on The Word Unleashed. The Bible says there was a part of you that was left unredeemed. Its beachhead is your body. Obviously, your body's not redeemed. But it's more than just your body. Because Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 7, 1 about cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the body and the spirit. But there's a part of you that is unredeemed. And the major characteristic of that part of you that is unredeemed are these cravings, these longings for things that God has not allowed and permitted. Peter calls them in 1 Peter 2, 11, fleshly lusts, fleshly cravings, which wage war against your soul. You know that feeling. You know what it's like to have those cravings that reside in your unredeemed humanness wage war against your soul. This is the source, one of the sources of the temptations you and I face. Those cravings that reside in our unredeemed humanness that launch at external bait. There's a second source of temptation, and it's the world. The world. Not only the flesh, but the world. Not in the sense of the created planet, not in the sense of the human beings on the planet, but rather this word world is used in the sense of an organized, complex system of evil in the world that stands opposed to God. Listen to how Paul describes it in Ephesians 2.2. He says, You formerly walked, that is, before you became a Christian, in your sins and trespasses according to the course of this world. Literally, according to the age of this world. Paul's talking about a mindset, the prevailing mindset, the prevailing values of the world. 
everything in the world today that stands opposed to God. Think of it this way. It's the spirit of the age. You understand that the times we live in has a collective mindset, a collective set of values. That's the world in biblical terms. It's the system that Satan created. Ken Hughes describes it like this. Those without Christ are captive to the social and value system of the present evil age, which is hostile to Christ. Listen to this. They are willing slaves to the pop culture of the media, the groupthink of the talk shows, post-Christian mores, and man-centered religious fads. The spiritually dead are dominated by the world in this sense. It's the groupthink of the age in which we live. The values and the mindset that you read on the front of every newspaper, you hear in every television program, we are bombarded with. That's created by Satan. By the way, the world in this sense is not merely a New Testament phenomenon. In Psalm 106, verse 35, speaking of the children of Israel, the psalmist says, they mingled with the nations and learned their practices. That's the same thing that we face. It's equally a problem for New Testament believers. That's why in James 1, verse 27, James says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, not only to visit the orphans and the widows in their distress, to have love for others, but to keep oneself unstained by the world, by that, that group think, that collective opposition to God, the mindset that characterizes our age. You understand that part of the reason Jesus died was to rescue you from, from the, the world system that Satan has created? In Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, we read, Jesus gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Listen, if you're a Christian, Jesus didn't save you so that you could be married to this system Satan has created. He saved you so you would be able to be free from it. Now, the most common manifestation of Satan's influence in the, the world system that he's created is found in 1 John. Turn to 1 John 2, familiar passage. 1 John 2, verse 15 We read, do not love the world. Again, we're not talking about people. We're not talking about the the created world. We're talking about this system of the groupthink, the the current value system of the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world system, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in that system. Now, notice he's going to differentiate now the various components of this this system Satan has created. It may look different today than it looked in the first century, but underlying the world system are these same three components. The lust or the craving of the flesh. This is talking about giving into and pursuing at all costs the physical appetites of the body. We live in a culture that is driven by a desire to satisfy the body whatever it wants. Satan's created such a system. Notice 
The lust or the craving of the eyes. That's materialism. That's the desire to have whatever you see. I want it. And then finally, the boastful pride of life. That's the desire to be somebody and to appear to be somebody. To have a reputation, to be respected. The whole world is driven by these three things. And Satan has created the system, the complex, massive system to promote these three great traps in the world. Now, the third source of the temptations we experience not only come from the flesh and from the world, but thirdly, from the devil. I know this is unpopular, all right? I know I'm running against the trends here, a bit of an anachronism, but listen, Jesus, our Lord, taught very clearly that there is a being of unimaginable evil who along with the rest of the evil spirits who serve him is engaged in a constant effort to destroy the lives and soul of souls of people on this planet. You realize the devil is a title. It means the accuser, the slanderer. Satan is really his name. And the word Satan is a Hebrew word that simply means the adversary. He is your soul's adversary as well as he is God's adversary. Now, Satan is not omnipresent. And most of us are probably not important enough for Satan to show up individually. He can't be everywhere at once. But he has an army of evil spirits who do his bidding. And they are everywhere. And so I would say this, listen carefully, ultimately the source behind all of our solicitations to evil, the source behind all of our temptation is Satan. Now why would I say that? Well, think about the other two. The flesh, what is your flesh ultimately a reflection of? According to John 8, 44, it's a reflection of your first father, the devil, and you do the desires that he has placed within you. And what about the world system? Where did that come from? Satan created it. And so ultimately, he is behind all temptation to disobey God. In fact, in Matthew 4.3, Satan is called the tempter. This is who he is. This is what he does. But listen carefully. While he can use the flesh and and has, has created, in a sense, the flesh through leading Adam into sin, and therefore all of our parents were born in sin and passed that along to us, although he has created a world system, often Satan and his army of evil spirits are the immediate and direct source of our temptations. I mean, after all, isn't that what we find him doing at the very beginning of human history? Turn back to Genesis 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. By the way, the serpent is identified in Revelation 12 as no one else than the devil and Satan, Revelation 12, 9. He was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And so he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from every tree of the garden. By the way, listen, study Genesis 3 because this is how Satan still works. What does he do here? He magnifies the prohibition. Is it true, Eve, that God has said, you can't eat from any of the beautiful trees in this garden? 
Was that true? No, that wasn't true. So why did he say it that way? He said it to magnify the prohibition. And he does this with us. God's given us so much that's good and that we can enjoy. But he comes to us and says, has God really said you can't have that? And then he goes on to question the word of God directly, verse 5. Then he attacks the goodness of God. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Listen, God's holding out on you. That thing is really good. Satan still does this. Nothing's changed. He's still the tempter. He's still working the same plan. Satan continues to this day to be the source of temptation for unbelievers just as he was for Eve. For example, probably the most graphic illustration is Judas. In John 13, 2, we read, During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Satan tempted Judas to betray Jesus, and Judas gave in. We also, before we came to Christ, along with every other unbeliever, were in lockstep with Satan. Ephesians 2.2 says, You formerly walked in your sins and trespasses according to, here's what you walked in lockstep with, the prince of the power of the air. That's where Satan rules. That's a description of Satan. He rules in the atmosphere surrounding this planet. But listen to how he rules. He is the prince of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In other words, the devil controls the spiritual atmosphere currently at work in unbelievers. Now that is very helpful because it helps us understand the world in which we live. Satan's primary work, his primary objective is a religious one, to blind the minds of the unbelieving, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, so that they wouldn't see the light of the gospel. And how does he do that? He does that through human philosophy and false religion. Every satanic human philosophy that dominates our world today and every false religion is the product of the creative genius of Satan himself. This is how he tempts mankind. But Satan's work of tempting is not restricted to unbelievers. He was also the one, you know, who tempted our Lord. In Matthew 4.1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So it shouldn't surprise us then, should it, that Satan continues to be the source of many of the temptations that you and I face as believers. Have you ever considered this? Directly, immediately, through his fallen army, he brings temptation into your life and mine. Let me give you a few examples. Consider 1 Chronicles 21.1. Then Satan stood up against Israel, and Satan moved David to number Israel, to, to in his pride, take a census to show how, to, how great his army was and to say, basically, this is how we're going to defeat our enemies and care for ourselves, not the Lord. Do you understand that Satan still works this way? Satan, Satan is still tempting you to put your confidence in you and in your resources. He is still tempting you to pride so that you disobey and dishonor God. Look at Job chapter 1. Of course, the very familiar example of Job. Verse 
6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. The Lord said to Satan, verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan says, Well, yeah. I mean, look at what you've done. Does Job fear God for nothing? I mean, look, you put a hedge around him and his house and everything he has. You bless the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Of course he loves you and serves you. Verse 11, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And we'll talk about this next week. The Lord permits Satan to do this. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Don't put your your hand on him So Satan departs from the presence of the Lord. But what is Satan trying to do in Job's life? What is the temptation in this episode? Again, it's the same kind of temptation you and I face. Satan here desires to use tragedy and physical illness to tempt us like he tempted Job to be angry and bitter with God, to curse God. Listen, maybe some tragedy has come into your life, some difficulty. God intends that for good, but Satan intends to use that for evil to tempt you to become angry and bitter with God, just like he wanted to do with Job. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Satan was behind the temptation of Peter to deny his Lord. Now again, what's the temptation? A temptation you and I still face. Satan uses with us, just like he used with Peter, the fear of man to tempt us to deny our Lord and to deny what we believe. How many times have you been in a setting where you kept your mouth shut? You understand that Satan may very well be behind that temptation as well as your own flesh? Just like he did with Peter, he uses the fear of man to tempt us to deny our Lord and to deny what we believe. Consider Acts chapter 5, verse 3, the story of Ananias. Peter says to Ananias, Why has Satan... Now remember, Ananias is a brother in Christ. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Again, there's a common temptation here. Satan tempts us, like he tempted Ananias, to lie... To lie to what end? To lie in the advance of blatant self-promotion with others, even in the church. To make ourselves look good. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, we read, Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Because if you don't deal with your anger before you go to bed, you will give the devil an opportunity. Listen, Satan tempts us to anger because he then can use that to advantage in our souls. Every time you're tempted to anger, not only may it be an expression of your own flesh, may it be a source of temptation from the world system Satan has created, but it may be from Satan and his army directly because he loves to tempt us to anger because it gives him an advantage. It weakens our defenses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, 
Paul writes, stop to, to couples now, to married couples, stop depriving one another except by agreement. He's talking about sexual involvement, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then I want you to come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You understand what Paul is saying? He's saying Satan will use your circumstances to inflame your sexual lust. Satan also uses persecution to tempt us to deny our faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes, I sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, that is through persecution, to abandon the faith, and our labor would be in vain. This is what Paul, uh, Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and or excuse me, First uh, Peter chapter five verses eight and nine, when he says, "Be on the alert, be sober, because your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour." I think in context, he's primarily talking about persecution. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to tempt you to deny Christ. Understand this: the main problem we have in pursuing holiness is temptation, and temptation comes to us from our own flesh from Satan himself and his emissaries, and from the world system that he has established. Do you understand this? Your soul, according to Jesus, according to the Scripture, is under constant attack from the world, the flesh, and the devil. When I was in seminary, I read what many believe to be John Bunyan's greatest work, even surpassing Pilgrim's Progress. It's called Holy War. And in that book, he describes an attack and siege on a city he calls Mansoul by the evil prince Diabolos. And the city eventually can only be rescued by King Emmanuel. In this allegory, Bunyan pictures the human soul, your soul, my soul, under constant siege and attack. Let me ask you, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that your soul, like the allegorical city of Mansoul, is under constant attack? If you don't, then you will never see it as important to pray, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me ask you this. How would you respond if this next week you visited your doctor and your doctor told you that you have a virulent, highly aggressive cancer, a cancer that left untreated will take your life within just a few weeks? How would you respond? Well, knowing about that danger, if you're like most people, you would seek immediate help from the very best oncologist that you could find. What our Lord wants us to know is that we are facing dangers far worse than cancer. Every day, we are facing deadly spiritual dangers that can bring about our destruction, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we must aggressively, intensely, fervently seek help from the only person who can address these deadly spiritual dangers. You see, behind this petition lies the truth that you and I are weakness itself, and left to ourselves, we will fail, we will fall. We do not have the power to stand up against the world, the flesh, and the devil. John Calvin writes, We conclude from this petition that we have no strength for living a holy life except so far as we obtain it from God. 
Whoever implores the assistance of God to overcome temptations acknowledges that unless God deliver him, he will be constantly falling. You understand that? Do you believe that? Jesus says we are to come before our Father as the daily habit of our lives, praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 12 of Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Tom will have part 13 for us next time, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, Tom, even though we belong to Jesus Christ, while we're still in this mortal flesh, we're still weak and sinful, aren't we? We are. But, you know, it's, it's sad that often we don't really recognize just how spiritually weak we really are. And we know that because of how frequently we give in to temptation in our lives. And so we, we need to ask the Lord to help us see and understand the danger that we're really in to see the, the reality that every day our souls are under siege and ask the Lord to help us realize that we're locked in combat. We're at war. Ephesians 6, you know, the armor that we're to put on, we need to remember that as we come in prayer and seek the Lord's help in that daily battle with sin. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social, at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.